Good everyone, welcome to Geeks Who Watch Football. I am your host, Jeff Jackson. It is Tuesday, March 30th. As you all are aware, today is the football episode. On today's episode, we're going to be taking a look at the fallout from the big three-way trade that happened on Friday between the Dolphins, 49ers, and Eagles, along with some new rumors and backstory that has popped up from Albert Breer's report, as well as some other sources as well. In addition, I'm also going to be dropping the top five running back rankings for the upcoming NFL draft. So make sure you stay tuned for that. As always, please, if you're listening on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you're finding this, please drop a review, leave star rating, five star, four star, whatever. Any review helps. Uh, Helps one, grow the brand, but two, also helps me critique and improve as a podcaster or audio creator or whatever you want to call it. So anyway. Moving on, so I did an emergency pod on Friday for the big jaw-dropping news between the Miami Dolphins, San Francisco 49ers, and Philadelphia Eagles. I've had some time to process it now, and I'm going to be looking at the implications of the fallout from that as well as how it impacts the top five now. And I've had a week in the stew on it, and some new stories have popped up as well. According to the latest report from Ian Rapoport, let me just pull it up here really quick. The Eagles-Dolphins trade was worked out two weeks ago. Dolphins-49ers three weeks ago. Uh, General Manager Chris Greer of the Miami Dolphins told Howie Roseman of the Philadelphia Eagles he'd circle back once the 49ers one was done. Miami Dolphins have a strong assumption that quarterbacks go one through four. Howie Roseman thinks there's a decent chance Chase goes to the Bengals. The Eagles worked exclusively with the Dolphins, and Roseman had to keep the trade under wraps in two-plus weeks in between to allow for the bang-bang nature of how it eventually would go down and a pretty good chance that the Bengals would take. So it basically goes on and repeats what Albert Breer was saying. So basically, the reason for this trade, obviously we know the San Francisco side of it. They wanted an upgrade at the quarterback position, and they wanted the trade up to three to get it. We all know the story as well of the rumors that The Eagles wanted the trade up, but only if they could get Zach Wilson. Miami could not assure them of it, so they would have had to wait to draft day to make that trade. Due to the nature of the Jets, one, not trading down with San Francisco, and B, the Jets not listening to Philly, one would assume, and the Dolphins also made this assumption, that Zach Wilson would be going second overall. Now, the Jets could go a different direction or pick a different quarterback they have their eye on, but once again everyone would be waiting for draft day for that trade to happen. And the risk you run when you do a move like that is you risk if you're the Miami Dolphins, you're left holding the bag. So it's better, even if you get less, it's sometimes better to get the deal in place now. So from the Eagles standpoint, they gave up trying to trade up when they approached Miami because they couldn't get assured that they would get Zach Wilson. And they didn't like any other quarterback besides Trevor Lawrence to move up as an upgrade as Jalen Hurts. So instead, they were looking at their options at six. Another player they really, really like or reported to like was Jamar Chase. 
wide receiver out of LSU. Now, once they, and this is Roseman saying this, not anybody else, they have a strong assumption. These GMs are pretty in with each other, at least in the top 10. They're pretty plugged in. Of, they have an idea of who's going where. It's after that that it becomes another incomplete shit show. But they have an idea that the Bengals at, at number five are going to take Jamar Chase. Now, up until this point, everybody, including myself, has been saying Panay Suel, Panay Suel, Panay Suel, Panay Suel. But with the signing of Riley Reef and having Jonah Williams at tackle still, Joe Burrow, their quarterback, has a chemistry one with Jamar Chase, but he has been pounding the table hard for his ex-teammate. And people do forget about Jamar Chase because he did have a heck of a season in 2019 before he opted out 2020 due to COVID. So with the Eagles, they're looking at it as, well, crap, the player we want to trade up for isn't going to be available, and the player, if we stay put, isn't going to be available. So then they began exploring the trade down, and that's when Miami came in and said we would work a trade down. But first, they had to secure the 12th overall pick. Now, many believe that Miami kind of gave up a little extra to move up to six. And there was logic behind that. And Brewer's report also says that Miami made a strong enough pitch to where they were willing to do the trade. Now Philadelphia being willing, I mean, not to do the trade now because they didn't think they could get a first round pick in a trade down scenario. So Philly, so Miami gave up, a, that's why Miami gave up a little bit extra. That makes sense now because they wanted to secure that pick right now. And Philly's thinking, to be in that spot, and by in that spot, I mean it like pick 12. They get to make the trade now. They get extra picks. They get to reboot for and reassess in 2022. So that's how the whole backstory. And I just find it very interesting that from all three teams, you're now seeing the assumption we're starting to see as we approach the draft, it all start to fall in place that many believe, and they didn't say Atlanta would take a quarterback, but there is a strong belief that four quarterbacks go back-to-back. And I I don't think it it might have happened way long ago, but in, in my history, I was born in 1989. I don't ever remember four quarterbacks went back-to-back. Three quarterbacks, let alone, is a rare occurrence. If it's four, that's utterly insane. But it could happen. So if four quarterbacks go, and then Jamar Chase goes fifth, Miami sitting at six gets a player that they've been targeting, which makes sense. And just who are they targeting? I believe I said this on Friday. If not, I'm going to reassess and keep pounding the table for it. I believe they're going to take wide receiver out of Alabama, Devontae Smith. I like Panay Suell. I also like Kyle Pitts, and I would be ecstatic with both of those players as I view them as top three players in this draft class. But follow the breadcrumbs, follow the pieces. It all makes sense. If Miami wanted Jamar Chase, folks, I don't think they'd risk trading down with Cincinnati staring at a player. Same with Panay Suell. I don't think they'd be trading down. Plus, there is also a report, I forgot from who it was, that was saying Miami wasn't interested. Now, it could be a smokescreen, but they were saying Miami was not interested in players that did not play in 2020. So that would opt out Panay Suell and Jamar Chase. And then I know Mel Kuyper said the other day on one of his shows that he hears that, and I think uh, Jason Lockenfor also reported this, that Miami likes both the Alabama receivers. Now this makes sense because Miami was trading up. They traded up specifically to six to get in front of Detroit. I don't think Detroit's going a tight end. Kyle Pitts is a great weapon, a mismatched nightmare, but they do have TJ Hawkinson. Detroit does, I mean. So I just don't see Miami. I don't. I mean, I don't see Miami. I don't see the... Uh, Detroit Lions taking him. 
I think there's a strong chance that the Detroit Lions takes a wide receiver. I think whichever two of the receivers Miami does not take, Detroit does. So I think Miami, and and I don't blame Miami. Yeah, you could probably sit back at 12 and take the chance that one of those receivers falls to you, which could happen. But you have all this capital. Go get your guy. Get your player. Dictate the board for once instead of letting it fall to you. You did it last year, and yeah, there were some victories to letting it fall to you, like having Tua fall in your lap. There's also negatives, like missing out on the tackle class and having to settle with Austin Jackson. Go get your guys. If you believe Devontae Smith is special, go get him. In other news, they were, I know, um, PFT, Football Talk, ESPN's Get Up, they are all having a debate between, it appears that the front runners for the third, sorry, I cut out there for a second. Uh, they are all assuming Trevor Lawrence goes first, Zach Wilson goes second, and then the debate starts at pick three. Who do the 49ers go with? People close, like Chris Sims, believes it's Mac Jones. Me personally, I just cannot see it. Layered on to the fact that the San Francisco 49ers perfectly intend to keep and roll out Jimmy Garoppolo next season. To me, that screams Trey Lance or Justin Fields. If I had to put money down, I'd say Trey Lance. Trey Lance has the all the upside in the draft to be the best quarterback in this class, but he needs time. That athleticism and high upside is something that's worth giving up multiple first-round picks for. Because when you think about it, at the end of the day, they ended up giving up three first-round picks. The one they take the quarterback with, plus the two picks they traded to Miami to move up. I think it'll be Trey Lance, and it makes perfect sense. With Jimmy Garoppolo on the on the staff, now they could be just talking out of the side of their mouth to try to get a trade value for him. I think they're, they do plan to roll Jimmy G for one year and let the rookie quarterback develop. I like Kansas City. In addition to that, Miami has their first-round pick, so they can't afford the struggle because they're not making the pick next year. So, but if they do intend to trade Jimmy Garoppolo, who would be suitors with, you know, free agency drying up? I tried to look at some teams. Like, I thought Chicago, but they would have to clear up cap space because they had to cut uh, Fuller, one of their prized corners, because they were up against the cap. Now, I understand it's to start a new league, the new league year so they can go over again, but... Chicago would make sense, but the cap situation scares me. I think Denver is a very realistic opportunity. Insider Benjamin Albright reported that they were trying to bring in veteran competition for uh, Drew Locke. They were not going to go the draft route, at least early in the draft, like first-round picks. So I could definitely see, I could definitely see uh, them training for Jimmy Grappolo. Washington, eh, I think they're going to go in the draft. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick's their starter. I don't think they're going to bring in another veteran. But there's other teams that can come up. But if I had to put money on it right now, New England is reportedly, quote-unquote, not interested, even though they're the favorites a lot of people have been saying. But I still believe if they're going to make a trade like that, I do think Denver's the front runner. Carolina could, too. That makes sense, the Carolina Panthers. But Carolina could be in a good I, – I was saying they were losers of the trade at pick eight. They might luck out and have Justin Fields fall right into their lap. Assuming Trey Lance goes third and if Atlanta passes on a quarterback, they could have uh, Justin Fields fall right into their lap. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and if anything comes of it. 
So that's all for the news in terms of what is broke for the details behind that trade. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to get into my running back rankings for the uh, 2021 NFL draft. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everyone. So we just got done covering all the news. So the moment some of you have been waiting for anyway, I did the wide receiver rankings a couple weeks back. It might have been last week, but now I'll turn my attention to the running back rankings. I still plan to do the quarterback. I mean, I believe is the remaining one next year because I know I started the podcast up later next year's draft. I plan to have like most of the positions covered and this one, though, I'm trying to hit the basics because like I said, I started up the podcast later than expected and we were basically right in draft season where hypothetically I'd be going through this during the college season and then pro days would just cement what I want. So my running back rankings, I did only five. I could have done top 10, but I wanted to keep it shorter and easier to focus on. There are some honorable mentions, just like the receiver class, and I was going to briefly glaze over those ones. And just to clarify before I get into the weeds, the top three running backs I see as first-round grade prospects. Number four and five I see as third-rounders. And then obviously the honorable mentions are fourth-round, fifth-round, whatever. I do see, as you can tell, there's a significant drop-off after the three. Everyone's going to have a different ranking of the top three running backs. Most of you know who they are. But after those top three, I believe there is a significant drop off. Like if you miss out on these three running backs, you're better wait- You're better off waiting until round four or later. Because the talent's just not there after that. But for the first honorable mention, sorry if I'm going to butcher people's names. I was going to say Trey Sermon, running back out of Ohio State. He was a transfer from uh, Oklahoma before his job was handed to Ramon J. Stevenson. Trey Sermon, I like. He's known for delivering in big games, like his performance against Clemson, where he ran buck wild, and then Northwestern. I believe both games he put up 200 yards in each. He has that physical bruising style. He's capable of breaking the game open. What scares me with Sermon, besides the injury, because he suffered, I believe, a collarbone injury in the Alabama t- uh, title game, is he just seems inconsistent to me. Like, he kind of has, and he doesn't run exactly like him, but he reminds me of a C.J. Anderson, if you guys remember, who ran for the Rams and also ran for the Broncos. Like, he has these 200-yard games, and then he disappears. Like, he disappears for multiple games. And he's so predicated on how many lanes open up for him. And I know most running backs do, but in his case, especially if you have wide open lanes, he's fine. But once again, it's inconsistencies at running back. I don't think he has enough traits to make people miss. And with his injury concerns, I don't know if he'll hold up. So I'd like to have Trey Sermon in my top five. If I was doing this ranking based on the Dolphins needs, because the Dolphins need more of a thumper. I probably would have Trey Sermon maybe on the outside, him and Chuba. But I'm doing this as an overall top five. And due to his inconsistencies, injury history, and really he didn't emerge till late. A late bloomer is a running back. You just don't know how to rein it. At least I don't. It scares me off. I would still take him in the fourth or fifth round, but I'm not touching with a top three pick. He's a good back to take a fly around and see if he works. 
but I'm not investing a top three round pick in them. Next player I just briefly mentioned was Chuba Hubbard. If we were doing this rating a year ago, Chuba would easily be in the top five. He ran for, I think, 2,000 yards. He just had a buck wild season. I think it was 20 touchdowns or something absurd like that, too. Like he had a buck wild season last year, but he did drop off a little bit last year. Tread on the tires is a concern because he had over 300 carries last year. Still not as much as some of the other running backs, but due to his physical style, you're wondering if, you know, if he's not going to have much tread. And like it or not, when somebody has a decline their senior year, even if it's not their fault, they tend to go later. Think Cam Akers last year. It still happens to running backs. I like Chuba. I wouldn't be peeved if anybody took him. But once again, due to his decline and due to the tread on the tires concern, I'm not quite sure if I'd invest the first three-round pick on him. Once again, same as Trey Sermon. I'd invest the uh, fourth-round pick or later. And last but not least, Ramondre Stevenson from Oklahoma. I like him. He was at the Senior Bowl, I believe. But I just don't see explosion with him. It looks like he's got the Zach Moss effect coming of he looks like he's running in quicksand. Maybe it's something different. Maybe he runs a blazing 40. But for me, he just seems, it's like, eh, he seems stiff. He doesn't seem like he has enough fluid or motion. I just don't. And once again, I go into much more detailed scouting reports with the top five, but this is just, like I said, a quick glaze over. So if you want more in-depth reports, I can for sure go in with these guys, but this is just a quick rattle off. And because I know this is an award-winning commentary right here for these guys, but I just wasn't a fan of Ramondre Stevenson as well. I would easily take Sermon and Hubbard over uh, Chuba Hubbard over him though. But all right. But that being said, now we're going to get into the top five. And similar to the wide receivers, I list some pros, I list some cons, I listen to their pro comps. And so number five and four are dead even almost. Literally, if you were to ask me tomorrow, I'd probably have number five and number four and number four and number five. But they're literally splitting hairs. One has more polish and one has more upside. Depends on your preference. For me at number five, I have Kenneth Gainwell running back out of Memphis. He's listed at 5'11", 195 pounds. He sat out 2020 due to COVID. His 2019 stats were 231 carries, 1,459 yards, 13 touchdowns, averaging 6.3 yards per carry. He also had 51 receptions, 610 yards, and three TDs. The pros that gain well, he is an outstanding receiving option, often lined up in the slaughter out wide, blistering straight line speed, has a, has a couple nice moves like his cutback is one of his favorites, and... He he just lines up well. Like if you watch Memphis's film, they were part of an explosive attack. He lined up in the receiving role a lot of times. Like I just said, he's pretty effective route runner. And he didn't really take many snaps out of the backfield, though. And that's where we get to the cons. He needs more moves in his arsenal. He relies on that cutback a little too much. Not a lot of experience running between the tackles. Sometimes has ball security issues and has trouble breaking tackles. So they lined him up a lot on the outside, but they never they didn't he, they didn't ask him to run between the tackles too much. And it's not saying that he couldn't, but he hasn't shown it really. And he does have elite speed. I believe he ran a like 4440. So he has speed. He also has good hands. He's a great receiving option, but 
he does get tackled relatively easy. Corners can trip him up. He struggles to make the first guy miss, which I look for when I want an elite back or a top three back. I want to see yards after contact, or I want to see if they can make the first guy miss because that's so essential in the NFL. A lot of times in the next level, you're not getting holes open the size that you can drive a truck through. Some offensive lines may be like Indies or or the Raiders when they were in their prime, but most teams aren't. So you're going to have to make a guy miss before you get up to speed. They're not going to let you hit your full speed. You're going to have to make a linebacker miss. You're going to have to break an arm tackle of a corner. You're going to have to, you know, go through open lanes. His vision doesn't seem too bad either. It's just, once again, most of the time he's lined up wide. They use him as a receiving option. I think Kenneth Gainwell overall would be used as a, you take him and add him to your rotation. You don't draft him intending to make him the feature back and you see where he ends up. I compare him. I think his pro comp right now is Tony Pollard from the Cowboys. He has immense upside. He could be better than number four on the list. But for now, I think you draft him, put him as a rotational back, and see if he develops on the inside and becomes your three-down back. But with a limited resume, I can't put him in the top three, even though he could end up being one of the better backs in this class. So at number four, like I said, literally right ahead of him, like barely, I have Michael Carter running back out of UNC. He's listed at 5'8", 199 pounds. His 2020 stats were 156 carries for 1,245 yards, nine touchdowns, averaging eight yards a carry. He also had 25 receptions, 267 yards for two DDs. The pros with Carter, he's a patient, shifty runner. He was the lightning to Devon, or his teammate, Javante Williams-Thunder. Good pass protector. Good vision to find an open lane. Solid speed and is surprisingly physical despite his smaller size. Cons. He lacks elite explosiveness and physicality that the above three possess. Lacks elite traits to make a first... Lacks elite traits that often consist of a one to two round prospect. He is built a little smaller as well. Even though he's 200 pounds, 5'8 is a little short. You'd like to see him at 210. Overall, if Carter were two inches taller and ten pounds heavier, we may be having a different conversation about him. He was the lightning in the he was the lightning in the split back for UNC that dominated uh, the Miami Hurricanes. Effective receiving option that is feistier than people give him credit for. See the Senior Bowl. Lack of elite agility, speed, and size keep him from being a one to two uh, first round prospect. My pro comp for him, not in terms of build, but in terms of running styles, Michael Pittman. If you remember him, I'm throwing a throwback there from the Bucks. Michael Carter, I watch, and I really liked him at the Senior Bowl. Like I said, he was the Lightning. He did have a disappointing pro day running a 4-5-5, but 40 times really don't matter as much to running backs as they do wide receivers or corners, in my opinion, because how often as a running back do you just start and stop? It's not the same to me. Michael Carter is... Surprisingly feisty, and I mean, like in the senior bowl, he shows it on full display. He's capable of hitting a 30 yard run, and then he hurtled like the side bench or whatever it was. And then another play where he ran into the end zone where he kept his feet moving his offensive lineman pushed him in. But what I don't like about Carter is he's good at everything you'll ask him to do. But once again, he looks like he's kind of like a compared to style, he's kind of like a jack of all trades running back, but he's a master of none. And you'd like to see him, even though I said he was the lightning to their split backfield, 
he's not a truly elite pass catcher. Like he's a good pass catcher, but he's not elite the same way Gainwell is or the same way that uh, Travis Etienne is. He's explosive, but not to the level of either one of those running backs. I think he's a little bit better running in the tackles than Gainwell is, which is why I have him higher. He's more experienced in that regard, but I just don't see anything elite about him. I think he's a rotational back. I think he's a 600 to 700 yard back tops in the next level. And for me, that's not a first two round prospect. I think he's polished enough. He's going to come right in and immediately be a nice player for you. But I just don't see him being, like I said, I don't see anything elite when I look at Michael Carter. I see a good running back prospect, not great. Polished, come in. He's not going to bust because I think there's too many things he does well. But I'd like to see more shiftiness out of him. I'd like to see more agility out of him. And I just don't with him. And he lacks the size. Even though he's feisty, he ain't running anybody over with the smaller size. So, like I said, He's a, he's a good prospect, but nothing truly special. So those are the four and fifth prospects. Now we're going to get into the top three. And depending on who you ask, you'll probably get a different order of the three. But I have a first-round grade in all three of these prospects. Last year's draft class, I believe, was deeper than this one. A lot of guys went in round two. But I believe these top three running backs are all better than anybody that came out last year. I like all three of these more than Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins. I like these running backs more than all of them, these top three. And I believe had any of these three been able to come out, and I'll cover that in my scouting report, I think they all would have been taken above them. But number three I can just hear the groans coming from people. I have Travis Etienne running back out of Clemson. Travis Etienne is 5'10", 205 pounds. His 2020 stats were 168 carries for 914 yards, 14 touchdowns, averaging 5.4 yards per carry. He also had 48 receptions for 588 yards and two TDs. The pros with Travis Etienne is he is an explosive home run hitter. Hits the hole quickly and can squirt through the smallest of openings. He has a 4-4-4 speed and is a terror in the open field. Great receiving option and is a great contributor to the passing game. The cons with ETN. He is average to below average vision. Doesn't break many tackles. Lacks the power and gets tripped up easily. Meh. In pass protection, relies on cutbacks to be effective. Or cut blocks, not cutbacks. (laughs) In the pass protection game. 2019 was a better year all around for him. 600 plus carries in college total. So you have a little bit of concern with the tread there. He actually had more carries than Najee Harris. Overall, had ETN decided to come out last year, which he could have, he would have been the number one running back off the board. Dynamic playmaker that is a threat for a big play every time he touches the ball. Quick acceleration and ability to shrink to fit holes. Defenders better get a hand on him as he has. Yeah, there is. Defenders better get a hand on him if he has an open lane because he will toast defenses with his top speed. He had struggles his senior year against elite competition and did not play well when the team had to lean on him when Lawrence was out. See the first time they played Notre Dame. His average to below average vision could impact how he runs between the tackles at the next level. Having over 600 carries in college like Harris, tread will be a concern. The comparison I have for him is Alvin Kamara. 
Najee Harris had a better 2019 year than 2020. And I don't know what it is. He didn't look as fast. He was okay. He did not improve statistically. 2019 was a better statistical year. He looked faster, even pass protected better, had a little bit more oomph to his running. Everything looked better. It was almost like he was playing to not get hurt. And that baffles me because he could have come out and he probably would have been taken in the first round. Could you imagine him with the Kansas City Chiefs instead of uh, Edwards Alaire? I just don't understand it. So it's one of two things. One, he was running to not get hurt, or B, he's starting to break down already because he does have a lot of carries. All these other backs on this list, and I mean all these other four running backs, improved every year they touched a ball. Besides Chuba Hubbard, he's the only running back that declined his, his senior year or his recent year. Tread on the tires is a concern with him because if that's really what it is or if it's him not staying in shape with COVID, I'm scared how long his career is going to be as being an effective player. However, he's still a first-round talent because besides having a lesser senior year, he's still a home run threat when he touches the ball. He still scares defenses, and if he hits the open lane and he's able to get by a defender, he will break runs for 30-plus yards. He is a home run hitter. And like I said before, he is a great receiving option. He's kind of who you hope Gainwell and Michael Carter could be. ETN's more polished and kind of already there. He is much more of a home run threat. But he is not a short yard situation running back. And if you have an eh offensive line, he will struggle because he can hit when he knows where to run. He's very decisive and very quick, and he can squirt through the opening. But if there's nowhere to go and you're asking him, he has meh vision, like not very good vision. So he's going to pause, and that often leads to him getting tackled. He is not the running back capable. He can kind of make a person miss with his speed, but he ain't powering through. So in short yardage situations, he's a liability, in my opinion. But the home run ability makes him, in a way, too good to keep out of the first round. Or if he does come out of the first round, he's going to go early second to a team like the Jets, Falcons, or Dolphins. ETN is an explosive playmaker. Like I said, he could improve, too. It could have just been a thing where he's trying not to get hurt, and we see the 2019 ETN return to form. And his game translates. Even if he loses a step in running the ball, he'll be a good receiving option, too, for a team. So, number two. I have Javante Williams running back out of North Carolina. He's listed at 5'10", 220 pounds. His 2020 stats were 157 carries. 1,140 yards, 19 touchdowns, averaging 7.3 yards per carry. He also had 25 receptions for 305 yards and three touchdowns. The pros with Javante Williams, he is a physical, violent runner. He is a load to bring down, never goes down on the first hit, decent receiving option, good in pass protection, one or two miscues here and there with his pass protection that led to a sack. But that also might be because Sam Howell's quarterback held on to the ball too long. But he's decent vision and hits the holes quickly. He is a definition of a downhill runner. He split carries of Michael Carter, so there is little to no tread on his tires. He's young at 20 years old with upside, and he improved every season. The cons, the uh, I almost said Michael Carter, <laughs> the cons to Javante Williams. Physical style of running may lead to injuries at the next level. Sometimes needs to learn when to go down. 
He has average agility and leans on physicality too much a bit. Wish he had a little bit more top speed. At today's pro day, it should be noted that he ran, or yesterday's pro day, I mean, he ran a 4.5740. Is that a game breaker? No, Ricky Williams, I believe, ran around that. Not saying he's Ricky, but it's not as big of a deal. Once again, Alvin Kamara ran a slower than 4.540 as well. It's not a big deal. Overall, Javante Williams had the highest upside in this class, a downhill runner that is capable of taking over a game. Good luck stopping him in short yardage situations as his physical style is sure to entice coaching staffs. Underrated in pass protection, he is a better receiving option than people give him credit for. And only 20 years old, the sky is the limit for this kid. Only concern is durability at the next level due to his violent style and that he doesn't quite have the top speed of the other backs in this class. Pro comp for him I have is Marshawn Lynch. Dude runs like beast mode. If you want to see like the best of him, put on the Miami Hurricanes game. Uh, North Carolina versus Miami. The dude just, he ran for well over 200 yards. He just ran people over. He is quick. He hits the hole. He almost always brings players down on the first hit. He or never goes down the first hit. I mean, I, I sent a film of it to my buddies. There was a Virginia game where on two plays, one, the corner, they ran some like halfback option on the outside instead of up the middle on a third and short. The corner read the play perfectly, went to tackle him behind the line of scrimmage for a loss, and he just completely, he just ran right through the dude. And then on another play where he completely took another corner and just completely stiff-armed him to the ground. Like, he is the definition of a back that the more carries, he is capable of the more carries you give him. In the fourth quarter, he's breaking holes for 10 to 11 yards because people just don't want to tackle him anymore. He sometimes needs to learn when to go down because one, I can think people can try to pop the ball out there. He does have better ball security than other backs in this class, though, so I'm not concerned about that with him. It's not ball uh, security as much as his injury. He doesn't have an injury history, but when you run that violently, injuries inevitably happen at the NFL level, so I'm a little concerned about that, but he could easily end up being the best back in this class. He has the highest upside. He's the youngest. He's at 20 years old. He doesn't have tread on the tires because of the split backfield with Michael Carter. I like this kid a lot. I really do. I think I would love to get him a 36 if I'm the Dolphins, but I have a feeling he's going to go on the bottom half of the first round. He just screams, and I'm not saying they're going to take him, even though I did in my mock draft a few weeks back. He just screams Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, he just screams Pittsburgh running back. I was teasing my buddy Paul, who's been on here before, that he would be a Bills running back, too because they love running backs and they love players with the last name Williams. So there you go. He'd be a perfect fit. But I really like Javante Williams a lot. Like I said, high upside, Marshawn Lynch style running. Just put on tape of him. Just go to, you don't even have to watch like extreme games. Just go to like YouTube or just watch the Hurricanes game and know what he is. I would have ranked him higher if not for the number one. He almost came in at number one, but number one, I just can't, I just can't put him above number one. Number one I have, which you all should guess by now, is Najee Harris, running back out of Alabama. He's listed at 6'2", 229 pounds. His stats in 2020 were 251 carries, 1,466 yards, 26 touchdowns, 5.8 yards per carry. He also had 43 receptions for 425 yards and four TDs. Pros, he is a patient physical runner that finds the open hole, making him excellent between the tackles. Excellent vision of the field, big tailback that breaks arm tackles, strong, powerful back, absolutely devastating in the red zone. 
greatly improved his receiving game and amazing athleticism his senior year. If you don't believe me, see that hurdle in the Notre Dame game. He averages about a hurdle a game, folks, and I'm not kidding. And these are corners standing straight up, which are six foot or taller. He's not afraid to throw a spin move, soft hands, and great acceleration, although he lacks top-end speed. In other words, and I put in parentheses, he's a long strider. The cons. He needs to improve in pass protection. He can get a bit overzealous and whiff on some blocks. At 23 years old, age and tread on the tires are a concern of how long he's going to last. Overall, Najee Harris is all the makings and resumes of a three-down uh, resume of a three-down back. Tough with elite size, even on blown plays, he can pick up three yards by merely falling back or falling forward. His sneaky athleticism and amazing vision making the perfect fit in an RPO offense. With over 600 carries in his cal- uh, collegiate career, tread and overuse will be a concern, as is the case with most Alabama running backs. However, his patient style of running and effectiveness in the screen game will ensure he is a, an effective running back at the next level. The pro comp I have for him is Le'Veon Bell. Najee Harris is the type of back that's going to run for 80 yards and get 50 yards receiving with two touchdowns every game. That's the type of back he is. And you're not saying he can't get more. He can. He just does it all. He can be out on the field at all times. He improved his receiving uh, game a lot. And like I said, he doesn't lose yards. He's the type you can run him right up the gut. And just because of the size of him at 6'2", he's basically like half an inch shorter than Derrick Henry and like five pounds lighter. He can literally just fall forward and get you three yards. And he's done that before. He's a very patient runner, uh, running back too. There's plenty of times I've seen him go right up to the line of scrimmage and he kind of hesitates the way Le'Veon did, finds the hole and goes through it and gains five or six. He's not quite the home run hitter that ETN is. And he's not quite as decisive in terms of his burst as Javante is. He's not as violent as what I mean to say. He can easily run dudes over. He just doesn't look as violent as Javante. But he has elite size. And even though he's not going to pop off 50-yard runs, he's going to gain, much like Zeke Elliott, 8 to 12 every time on you. And he can break them on the corners. God help you if you try to tackle him and you're a corner. You're going to get embarrassed. I'm interested to see what he runs to uh, today, later today at Alabama's Pro Day. Not the 40-yard dash confirms anything, as I said. It can be the most overrated stat, but man, he looks special. And he's the one back I would take at Miami if I'm 18. I mean, you heard our pre-draft coverage with me, Paul, and Matt. We all three of us want him for our teams. That should tell you what you need to know. Najee might not end up being the best running back in this class, but he ain't going to be the worst. And he for sure is going to probably be the top two or top three, though. He's an immediate uh, contributor. And I think he's going to be special. The question I have for him is four or five years from now, is he? But if you take him in the first round, give him four years, put a fifth-year option on him, franchise tag his ass if you have to, and there you go. You let him go at 29, you know, 28, 29 years old, and you're good, and you draft another one. So for me... I'm not as I'm concerned of the longevity of it, but most running backs have a short uh, shelf life anyway for what he can give you right away. And yes, Javante, I believe, has a higher upside of all these guys in this class. Gainwell is a high upside too, but Najee, I would take over all of them. And I'm hoping Arizona doesn't swipe him at 16 right in front of my team. But I think he can just do it all. And I know I don't just feel that way. A lot of people do. I have a first round grade on him and I would have no, I'm not a fan of usually spending first round picks on running backs. 
I for sure would have not even bet an eye if I, or if Miami used the 18th pick on them, or Jets if you used the 23rd. Even Pittsburgh, use your 20th. Uh, where did Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh pick? 24th. If I'm Pittsburgh, I wouldn't be peeved if you guys did it. Same with Buffalo. If you're picking 29th, I wouldn't bet an eye at it. An immediate contributor. But there you have it. Starting to run a little bit late here. I wanted to be a little bit quick on for you guys. But as we approach the draft, I'm going to be doing more coverages. Like I said, I'm going to do the quarterback rankings upcoming. And going to do at least another mock draft before the big day, since we're just under a month away from it. So I hope you guys stay tuned. Once again, leave a review. And I'll see you guys later. Thanks for stopping by.